Um, if you are visiting with us today, again, just thank you from the bottom of my heart to you guys for uh, whoever you may be for visiting today. We hope that you enjoy your time with us. And uh, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We are um, about three weeks, we're, well, we're in our final three weeks of Colossians. So it'll be uh, today, then next week, and then one more week, the final week of June. Uh, and then in July, we'll pick up Ecclesiastes. So I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be a blast also. Uh, if you ever wonder what the key to life is, you don't want to miss that series. All right? So, uh, hey, I want to say thank you so much. Uh, many of you know, many of you were here helping, uh, but many of you know this past week was the ride that is... Uh, our own little spin on a VBS type thing for kids during the summer. Uh, it went really, really well. And so I just want to say thank you to uh, Mandy for her leadership and all of that. I want to say thank you to all of the volunteers who showed up and helped. And um, I think some people got some pies in the faces. So thank you for sacrificing your body. Uh, unfortunately, I missed that night because I was out of town. Praise God. And because uh, I think the kids wanted me to get one and I wasn't here. So. There we go. Um, and I just thank you for bringing your kids or inviting kids or whatever you did to make that go so well. Thank you. Amen? Uh, it sure was a blast. I look forward to it next year. Uh, all right, so Colossians, we are, uh, as I said, almost through with this series, but the series has been centered on really one main thought. That thought is all of life, all for Christ. Like every area of my life, I'm not going to segment my life, that every area of my life is going to be lived for Christ. And so what we did was we spent the first few uh, weeks, first couple of weeks or so, going over the theology of what it means to be in Christ. In other words, what does it mean that Christ has saved me, that He's redeemed me, that He's worked Himself into me? Uh, what does that look like? And then we looked at that over the first couple of chapters, and then we transitioned in chapter 3 into what does it mean for us to live every area of our life as those who have been saved by Christ Jesus. Now that we are Christians, now that we are saints, no longer just sinners, but now saints by the grace of God, what does it look like to live as such? And so we talked in the kind of a broad term, or Alan did, he did a good job, good job with it, but we talked in a broad term on what it means to live for Christ in the broad sense. And then last week, we, we jumped into verse 18 and 19, which was really addressing husbands and wives, uh, that was a lot of fun, right? And, uh, and then this week, what you'll see in the text is that it's addressing the relationship of parents and children. Praise God, another fun topic. So uh, anyway, and then uh, next week, we'll look at uh, really like a, the working relationship. What, is, what does it look like to be an employee or an employer? And how does all of that work together? Uh, biblically, how do we work in a way that we would glorify Christ? So uh, again, the central verse or the central theme for Colossians is Colossians 3.17. It just says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So literally everything about our life can be lived in a way that we're glorifying the Lord. And so I want to talk to you today uh, specifically about that parenting relationship. Now, I just want to throw this out because some of you uh, may not have been here or, or we've slept uh, a few times since then, uh, but I want to throw out verses 12 and 14 as the building block for all relationships. Amen? So whether we're talking about husbands and wives, whether we're talking about friend to friend, or whether we're talking about this church relationship of brother to sister, or we're talking about parenting or working or any of the relationships that we're diving into, they're centered on verses 12 through 14, which say, uh, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, put on kindness, put on humility, put on meekness, put on patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Boy, that's hard. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So before we ever even talk about the role of parent to child and child to parent and get into any of this today, we have to remember that, that it's love at the center of that, a, a Christ infused into our hearts, love that has to be the basis for how we walk in any of our relationships, but especially today, 
our parenting relationship. Amen? Amen. So before we talk about parenting, something I feel uh, very underqualified to discuss uh, today, other than having the authority of the Word before me, uh, in my own practice, I feel um, left wanting very often, if that makes sense. So I've got three kids, one on the way. Uh, I've got them as old as almost six, be six next week, uh, all the way down to uh, just about to turn two in a few weeks. And so um, it's a blast. And then my wife is currently carrying our fourth. And uh, anyway, that's a boy, by the way, if, if, the, if y'all haven't heard yet. And uh, with any luck, we're going to be able to name him after Charles Spurgeon. So we're going to name him Haddon, and, uh, and I'm thrilled about that. So anyway, aside from picking very unique names, I have no idea how to parent kids, all right? And so I, I, I have to trust wholly in the Lord, as all of you do, <laughs> and I have to lean on His understanding, as all of you do. And if we're going to be any kind of good for one another, I say that we ask our Heavenly Father for help today. Amen? Father, we, we come before you as children today. Lord, what that means is, is that we, like our own children, are needy. And we are desperately dependent upon your help this morning. Uh, Father, this idea of being a father, this idea of parenting a child is so foreign even still to me that I'm learning something new, it seems like, every day, mostly um, about my wrong practices as a parent. And so, Father, I, I do come before you humbly today, certainly not in a way that I think I have it all figured out, Father, I'm sure that's not the posture of, of your sons and daughters in here today either. And so, Father, we ask that as we open up your word today that you would help us. Help us to understand our role. Help us to understand uh, best practice. And, Father, today is just a, it's, it's a broad stroke on parenting. So, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would send wisdom to each home today, to each parent today that they would walk away with a clearer understanding of their role in their home for their child. Father, we love you. It's in Christ Jesus' name we pray today. Amen. You just sat down 15 minutes ago. After giving your five times a day lecture on loving your neighbor, and you're feeling momentarily good about how it went. Now you're back in the living room with your iPad, and before you've had a chance to hit the button on your favorite app, you hear angry voices floating down the hallway from the very room you were just in. You can't believe it. You're tired, and man, this feels personal. You want to throw your iPad through the window, but you know that doing so would break both. You wish the insanity would stop so you could enjoy just one sane personal moment. You don't regret that you have children, but at this point, you kind of wish they weren't your children. You're angry, and you've got, and you're about to lose your mind, forgetting who you are and what you've been called to do. Emotion now is propelling you down the hallway, and that emotion is not love. An agenda is motivating you, and that agenda is not grace. You are in the room and you're yelling before you even realize that you have left your living room chair. You're talking, but you're not thinking. You're reacting, but what you're doing is not parenting. You're metting out a catalog of punishments, which you're later going to have to enforce if you can remember them all. You threaten worse if you have to come down that hallway again, and you leave the room mumbling something about how you would have never thought of acting that way when you were their age. You throw yourself back into the chair, you grab your iPad, you open up the app, but now you can't even pay attention to it because your emotions are raging. What do I have to do to get them to listen, to get them to obey for once? You ask yourself as your emotions calm, You feel a bit guilty, and because you do, you try to convince yourself that your kids deserved it. What parent has never felt that way before? 
Amen? That is a fictitious story, as far as I know, from Paul Tripp's Parenting. Uh, This is a book called Parenting, 14 Gospel Principles That Can Radically Change Your Family. This is my favorite book on parenting. And if that's your story, would you just raise your hand real quick? All right. If you don't have a copy of this book, would you raise your hand real quick? All right, there's several of you. We're going to get some copies of this, uh, but I'm just going to leave, I don't know. I'm going to figure out some way to give y'all one of this, one of these, but next week I'll have more. So if you're here next week, y'all take one. Lips, I'm going to give this one to you uh, because y'all are leaving soon, and I think you may enjoy this. Amen? Not amen that you're leaving. I'm not excited about that. Uh, Amen. It's the best book on parenting available, I think, and here's why. I think it it recaptures the idea of parenting. Uh, A lot of you, if you've had your child dedicated here, that's one of the gifts we give you. And so you have it, and you may not even know you have it. That's the way a lot of books get treated when they're gifts. Um, (laughs) So if you raise your hand like, I don't have that, but you've dedicated a child, you have it. So uh, bless your heart. And uh, so anyway, what happens is, is because that's our story, because we can get so frustrated because our experiences are, are really so different, but all very much the same, right? Maybe it's the way you were raised that begins to show up in how you parent. Maybe it's the way uh, that you just react. Like, I, I can react in ways I never saw my parents react, and I just feel those emotions in me, and I feel myself needing the Lord badly as a parent. That parenting is one of those things that reminds me so quickly that I don't have any idea what I'm doing in my life. <laughs> it, it, nothing humbles me more than parenting. It, it, I, I feel so much more qualified to talk about marriage even after nine and a half years than I do to talk about parenting today. And so what happens is we come to a text like Colossians 3, 20 through 21, and because our perspectives are all over the place, we just begin to hear something completely different. And so what I hope to do today is to, to center us all kind of on the same page, and then from there, Uh, branch out or move into what I believe is God's heart for you as parents. Amen? Really what he's called us to do. Because when I read Colossians 3, 20 through 21, I just, I feel something so much different than what the text actually means. So here it is. Children, this is where parents begin to nudge their teenagers real quickly. Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Uh, Now, I read this, and I just immediately feel this burden come onto my shoulders as a parent. And so let me just, let me draw a couple of quick implications And let's just dive headfirst into what I think the Lord means for us as parents. Number one, children obey your parents in everything. Now, everybody listen, whether you're a teenager, you're a child in here, uh, and your parents are with you, or whether you're a parent in here, here's here's one truth that we all need to understand. When the Bible says parents here, The the person that that is referring to is whoever God has allotted to you in his providence. Amen? So whether you are adopted or not, whether you are in foster care or not, the people whose care you are under are your parents who have been allotted to you by God, and you should be grateful for them. Amen? Parents, on the flip side, we should understand that children have been allotted to us by God's providence also. And that they too, like we are a gift to them, they are a gift to us. And so the question becomes then, when do children obey? When to obey? Well, a parent would say, all the time. (laughs) Whenever I ask you to, right? Whenever daddy or mama says something, you listen. Right? This is good and right. It's not that we shouldn't say those things. But maybe a child wonders, you know, when, when do I obey? Well, the, the Bible's very clear here, in everything. Now, I think we need to draw from Ephesians 6, where it says, children, obey your parents as is fitting in the Lord. 
Meaning that so long as parents, in the same way that husbands aren't trying to lead their wives into sin, so long as parents aren't commanding their kids to do something sinful, you obey. It's not based on your preference. It's not based on what you like. It's not based on what you think is better. It's simply to obey. Now, why should a child obey his parents or her parents? Well, because it says this pleases the Lord. And so in the same way, essentially, that we submit to one another as husbands and wives, Ephesians 5.21, sorry, yeah, 4.21, same way that we submit to each other as husbands and wives, we also, as children, the way that we show that we love the Lord is to surrender our rights to our parents. It's to obey our parents in everything, so long as it's Christian and isn't against God's word. I think it's not too harsh a statement to reverse all of that a little bit and to say that you cannot please the Lord without obeying your parents. Proverbs 23 gives you the instruction, listen to your father and do not despise your mother. Both, again, are God's gifts to you, to help you. So I think the second implication then is clearly here to parents. Fathers do not provoke The word provoke here means rouse to anger. It means to stir up to action as if by challenging them to a contest. Fathers, have you ever felt so, or parents altogether, have you ever felt so disrespected by your child that you are now ready to rouse them to anger as if challenging them to a contest to show that you are the parent The Bible says that we should not parent in this way. Why? Well, lest they become discouraged. What does discouraged mean? It means that they would lose heart, that that they would lose their spirit about them. You know what I'm talking about, right? We all see it when when we get on to our kids or when we have to discipline our children. We see that little spirit, that little heart, we see it fall. And you know when you've done it. And you know that if when you've done it, it was right or if it was wrong. You know that immediately. But so often we're like that story I read where you convince yourself that the punishment they got from you, though you may be a little ashamed of it, it was worth it because they deserved it. You know, one of the greatest things, one of the greatest tools I've found with my own children, again, six, three, and almost two. Almost six, three, and almost two. One of the greatest tools I've found with my children is the ability to say, I'm sorry. Just to look them dead in the eye when daddy raised his voice or when daddy said something he shouldn't have said or said something to them in a way that I shouldn't have or reacted out of anger, instead of just letting that be, to be honest with them, that as I'm pleading for the Lord's forgiveness, I'm also going to plead for my child's forgiveness. Hey, buddy, daddy's daddy's really sorry for the way I went about that. And, And not to preface it with, now you deserve the punishment, but the way daddy did it was wrong. Just to apologize and to own the way that it was done was wrong. I can see life come back into my kids' eyes when I do that. They can look at me and, Daddy, I forgive you. There may not be more, outside of hearing my wife say she loves me, there may not be a better word or better phrase than my children saying, Daddy, I forgive you, when I know that I've wronged them. So fathers do not provoke, do not rouse to anger, stir up, lest your child become discouraged of pleasing their parents. So what happens is is when you rouse to anger, when you stir up, when you challenge them as if to a contest, what happens in your child's heart and in their mind is they start to see, you know what, I I can't please them. It's impossible to please them. Everything I do, I I get waylaid with this guilt trip or this shameful act or you know one of the other keys that I've learned in parenting is that things that annoy me 
don't deserve discipline. Just because you're tapping on the table or just because you're clapping or you're hollering in the house, that doesn't always deserve discipline. Let your kids be kids. Let them enjoy life. In fact, it would be good for you to join them in such enjoyment. And it would be good for them. One of the favorite things we do at our house is we dance a lot. We'll just put on fun music in the evenings when daddy gets home. And we'll just act goofy in the kitchen and in the living room. I'm sure Brother Bobby and Miss Jan hear it at their house sometimes across the way. But it's just fun. You see, I think fathers, now if you're in a home where there's no father present, I'm sorry, moms, you can bring this same joy. But I think a father, there's something about when a father brings joy into the home that brings life into everyone in the home. And that as fathers, we have a great responsibility on ourselves to do this, to be joyous, to, to, to bring life. Well, man, that's easy for you to say because you work in the air conditioner all day and you read books. I get it, right? I understand. But in the same way that you need to, on your way home, pray and ask the Lord instead of zoning out and instead of going to uh, this Zen place on your drive home, I encourage you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to give you fresh strength before you walk through the door of your home. To not worry about a podcast, to not worry about what music's playing on the radio, none of those things. But before you walk into your home, on your way home, pray and say, Lord, I need fresh strength today. I want to be joyous for my children. I mean, this is good for men if you're married without children to be this way for your wives also. And wives, this is a great prayer for you to pray too. Ask the Lord for help. I've never heard anybody ask the Lord for help and not receive help. In fact, the Lord promises that in that day when you need me, I'll be there. And so we ask and we're confident that the Lord will supply us our need. So, what does God's heart for parenting look like? Well, I really do love that book. And I think Paul, Paul Tripp captures the heart of parenting in a way like I've never read before. And so all I know to do is just to kind of share, to regurgitate a lot of what I'm learning as a parent uh, from Scripture, from uh, a, a guy like Paul Tripp who wrote a book on parenting far more qualified than me to talk about it. Uh, but the reason is, is the things he talks about have really transformed the way I parent, the way I think about it. Even now, Patricia and I driving home yesterday are talking about these things, realizing that we need a lot of help. <laughs> but here's the, the thing I want you to write down if you're taking notes. should be there in your worship guide if you have that. I think we have to rewire the way we look at parenting, especially as Christians. And so parenting for Christ requires us to parent as ambassadors rather than owners. Now, this is Paul Tripp's language. I'm just stealing it, okay? I'm going to make that known to you now. Parenting for Christ requires us to parent as ambassadors rather than owners, and so here's the deal. Ownership parenting, the, the kids are my kids. They're my possession. I brought them into the world. I can take you out of the world. Those kinds of things, you know, that we say sometimes in jest. Um, <laughs> those kinds of things are very natural for us. It's very natural to feel possessive about our children. I've told you about what my dad used to tell me all the time, you know, that your older brother used to do that. Well, Dad, I don't have an older brother. That's exactly right, son. You don't. And so uh, that was his way of getting me to act right. Of course, he'd laugh, so I don't think he meant it. Um, ownership parenting is motivated and shaped by what parents want for their children and from their children. That's ownership parenting. It's motivated and shaped by what parents want for their children and from their children. It's driven by what I want them to become and what they can offer me, what they can give me in return. 
Now, it seems right, it feels right, it looks right, and, and really, if we're honest, it produces many good things. It, pr- it can produce respect in a child. It can produce obedience in a child. It can produce good behavior. It can produce social likability and, and, and all the things that we're really, if we're honest, we say we want for our kids. But it foundationally is misguided and misdirected. And it will not produce what God intends. And what he intends in the lives of our children. Now, our children, again, are the ones that he has given us and entrusted to our care. But so often we call ownership parenting good parenting. Most of the parenting books you will pick up to help you parent your child will parent or will teach you from an ownership perspective. This is why I love Paul Tripp's book so well. I'm not saying it's the only book you should read on parenting. I'm just saying it's the first book we should read on parenting. Because so many times we're calling good parenting, we're looking at people's kids and we're saying, man, they're good parents. And that's not wrong, it's not that we shouldn't say that, but that's not the end goal. Good parenting, which does what God intends it to do, starts with this radical and humbling recognition that our children don't actually belong to us. Rather, they belong to the Creator. They are His possession for His purpose. Amen? This is what Psalm 127 says to us. Psalm 127, verses 3 and 4 say, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. So children are a heritage from the Lord, they're a reward from the Lord, And they are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. So, children are God's gift. And and we are responsible for raising them. They're His arrows in our hands, if you will. What that means is that God's heart for parents is that we are to be His agents in these little lives. Those lives that have been formed in His image and entrusted to us as a heritage from the Lord, as a gift from the Lord. So really the only word to use here is ambassador. As parents, we are ambassadors. As Christian parents, we most certainly are ambassadors. Here's what I mean. I think ambassador is the perfect word for what we're called to be. An ambassador, if he wants to keep his job, faithfully represents the message, methods, and character of the leader who sent him. Amen? Everything he says or does is shaped by one question. What is the will and the plan of the one who sent me? That's what an ambassador does. So the ambassador doesn't represent his own interests. He doesn't represent his own perspectives. He doesn't represent his own power. He does everything as an ambassador of the one who sent him. So from beginning to end, parenting is ambassadorial. (laughs) means that we are ambassadors from the beginning to the end of our life as parents. We are called to recognize that we're here right now in this very moment to do one thing. That is God's will. So what does that mean? Tripp says, Parenting is not first about what we want for or from our children, as we see in ownership parenting, but about what God in grace has planned to do through us in our children. To lose sight of this, to lose sight of us being ambassadors in the lives of our children, to produce by God's grace something in our children, instead of causing them to be something for us so that we can receive something from them later on, to miss that is to create this relationship with our kids that is neither Christian nor true parenting. It is more about our will and our way than about God's will and His way. So owner and ambassador parenting, I think, is this inward struggle that takes place in all of us. 
especially as Christians. We go back and forth between this ownership style of parenting and this ambassador style of parenting. But what does it look like on a practical level? Well, there's, there's four areas, and the way that you interact with these four things really reveals and exposes, uh, if you will, who you think you are and what you think your job is as a parent, what you think your role is. So here's, here's four areas. Number one is identity. Identity just simply means where you look to find your sense of who you are. Identity. Where you look to find your sense of who you are. Now, owners, you have an owner-style parenting. They will receive their identity from their kids. They will look to their children to gain their identity. What happens is, is your kids become saddled with a burden of the parent's self-worth. That, that my kids need to act a certain way, need to be a certain way, need to do something a certain way so that I feel good about being a parent. That makes me feel better about life. Makes me look better to all the other parents in life. This is extremely dangerous, and I think we're all prone to this. I've not met a parent who is not susceptible to this. It's just so easy to do. We take it personal when our kids do something wrong. We take it personal when our kids won't react in the way that we're asking to, won't be obedient. The reason this is terrible is because your kids are sinners just like you are. And to try to find our identity in a broken human being is just foolishness. We shouldn't do it to our kids. We shouldn't do it to our spouses. We shouldn't do it to a friend or to our pastors. Right? Because we're all broken. We're all foolish in the grand scheme of things. We're all making big mistakes constantly. And so, therefore, an ambassador says, you know what? My identity is in Christ. Sure, I'm a father. Sure, I'm a husband. Sure, I'm a friend. Sure, I'm a whatever at work. But first and foremost, I'm a Christian. I'm saved by the grace of God, by, by no work of my own, simply by His grace, because He was rich in love, because He was rich in mercy and saw fit to save me. I'm saved. And so my identity now is in Christ. And when I'm loving Christ, when I'm running to Christ, when I'm leaning on Christ, then I can parent in new ways. I can love my wife in new ways. I can be a friend at work in new ways. I can, all of that is not my identity anymore. My identity is in Christ, and so it frees me to parent selflessly, to parent sacrificially, because I'm not after any gain in parenting. I'm just simply after my kids' joy and, and showing them more of the Lord. I think the second way and the second area would be work. The, the work that we do as parents, what you define as the work you've been called to do. So, if I went around the room and I just asked people, what do you think your role is as a parent? What is the work that you're called to do as a parent? We probably wouldn't get the same answer twice. We, we all see our role as parents as different things. Now, we may get some, some similar answers. But I think widely we all look at it differently. An owner style of parenting thinks that I have to turn my child into something. A productive member of society. A honor student. A college graduate. A whatever. And you, just, you put this mold on your child. And you say that for me and, and my role, this is my work that I have to produce this in my child. And if I don't produce that, then I've failed at my job. Now, we may not word it so like that, <laughs> but we parent in those ways. 
that, that our kids have to meet a certain standard or meet a certain mold. And so I'm going to use my time, I'm going to use my authority over them, I'm going to use my money, I'm going to use my energy to produce my vision of what my child should look like because they're mine. <laughs> but an ambassador view of parenting knows that you can't produce a gum thing in your child. That, that there are very few things which are in your control when it comes to parenting. And that without God's wisdom, you wouldn't know what's best for your child. You may think you know what's best, but you don't really know what's best. Ambassador work in parenting is motivated by grace. The grace that could be produced in their life, not the vision of what I think I can produce in their life. But how can I introduce them over and over and over again to the grace of God? Now, lest you mishear me, this does not mean that we don't discipline our children. This does not mean that our children are free-range chickens to run around however they want. Amen? In the same way that the Lord raises us with discipline, says that He disciplines in Hebrews. He disciplines those whom He loves. To not discipline your children is an unloving thing to do. You may think it's loving, but it's unloving. Now, I use the word discipline because I think discipline and punishment carry two totally different connotations. You can punish a kid by yanking them up, swatting their, their behind, and, and leaving them on the couch to think about what they've done. That's punishment. You can send them to the room. You can pull things away from them just in the heat of the moment. You know, and that I ran into and I was motivated by rage on my way into the room and so I decided all these things. <laughs> or you can sit down with your spouse. Uh, again, Lord willing, that's your case. You can sit down with your spouse and you can talk about, think through, what does godly discipline look like? What does the Lord do when I'm out of line? What does godly discipline look like? And the Bible will be of great help to you. So will your home group or your recovery group or uh, your pastors here. Lots of people can be very helpful. Finding an older believer when it comes to parenting is a really darn good idea. <laughs> to find somebody who's got grown kids and to say, I need some help. Amen? And so certainly you discipline your kids. Now I would offer this. If you cannot, it's in... It's very similar to how you would rebuke a brother who's in sin. If you can't go to that brother knowing that that could be you, if you can't go to that brother with a heart geared towards their repentance and towards their peace and towards their uh, coming home as the prodigal son, if you can't go in that way to your child to discipline them, you need to wait. You don't need to go yet. You need to stop and ask the Lord for control and for help and for patience. The Lord's not willy-nilly in the way He disciplines us. Amen? I can't put a finger on the way the Lord disciplines us. I just know it when I feel it. I know it when I, when I read it in the Word and I say something that, that goes against my condition as a human, <laughs> goes against the things I've been doing, and I and I know, man, that's, that's the Lord being faithful to discipline me now through His Word. There's other times the Lord disciplines. I think consequences are a way of disciplining. And so laying out clear consequences for your children, not about things that annoy you, right? You, you need to relax some. You need to allow your kids to have fun and to, be, and to laugh with them. But when they're serious things, running out in front of a car in the street, touching a hot stove, hitting their brother or sister, yelling at you, though you better not be yelling at them and then expect them not to yell at you. You see, there's just so many... Parenting is hard. <laughs> it's so difficult. 
there, there are so many nuances and ins and outs to this that we, we could literally talk about this for weeks on end and sit down and have conversations that would last hours, I'm sure. The idea here is that I need the Lord. My identity must be in Him. My work I must find from Him. And then success is the third area. What do you define success to be when it comes to parenting? What do you think is successful parenting? An owner would say that I'm working toward a specific vision of success. Their, their academic ability, their athletic ability, their musical ability, their social likability, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Whatever that looks like for you, whatever you think is most important. They need to know all their scriptures for Awana better than all the other kids. They need to uh, be the best kid on the ball field. They need whatever. They, they need to obey me in public better than all the other kids do. All right, we define success in a lot of ways. Often what we're saying is we're working toward a specific, vi specific vision of what success is. And so when our kids are teenagers and, and our vision of success is being disrupted, We, we find it hard to maintain relationship with our children. But an ambassador would say that successful parenting is not about achieving goals that I really have no power to produce in my kids anyway. I can't make my kid the next Michael Jordan, right? My, my kid's not going to be the next winner of America's Got Talent. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. I can't produce that, though. I can pay all the money in the world to send my kid to all the baseball camps that I can afford, and still he's not guaranteed to become a Major League Baseball player. You see what I'm saying? Like, we can have vision for success, and we can ride on that so hard that if they don't do that, we send the message that they're, they're not good children, that they're not doing what we've asked them to do. And we'll get upset because we invested time and money and authority and whatever else influence into that, and they didn't become what we thought they should have become. And so we'll be upset about it. But an ambassador says, I, I can't do, I can't produce anything in my kids. I can't make my kid the next Alex Rodriguez or Michael Jordan or Billy Graham or whoever your hero is in whatever field you'd like to see your kid go into. So what you have to say is, parenting is more about being a usable, faithful tool in the hands of the one who alone is able to produce good things in my child. And I want to be faithful and usable for the Lord in the life of my child. I want to mold a heart and mold a mind in a way that I know the, the Lord's hands were guiding mine. And I was just simply a tool of His. Amen? I think the fourth area is reputation. Reputation is what tells people who you are and what you are about. And we want our kids to contribute to our reputation in a good way, right? Again, this is why the teenagers are so hard on parents. You start hearing things about your kids, your kids are getting adventurous, they're doing things they shouldn't do, certainly. And you take that personal because now your reputation's online. So an owner would say that kids become trophies. And so when a kid is my trophy, I will be far more likely to become angry and disappointed with my kids. Not, not because they, they've broken God's laws and they're being disobedient to the Lord, but because they brought hassle and embarrassment into my life. I'll be upset about that. Hassle and embarrassment are not a trophy I want to display on my mantle in my house. But an ambassador says, you know what, I understand that parenting sinners will, will bring public misunderstanding and embarrassment. It knows that my kids won't be perfect. And if anybody knows their kids aren't perfect, it's their parents, right? And we all understand that. But somehow, someway, there's going to be some public misunderstanding at some point. There's going to be some embarrassment at some point. I think ambassador parenting says that God does the work 
And because God does the work, God gets the glory. That they're not my trophies. They're ultimately trophies of the Lord's. They're, they're people that He created, that He's molding, that He's shaping. And I praise God, I just get to be a part of it. Whew. So what does this look like? What does it look like to be an ambassador in the life of your children? I, I think Deuteronomy got it right. Imagine that. The Old Testament is extremely useful. Deuteronomy 11, 18-21 says, You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart. It's talking about all the commands of God, all the things that He's done, the stories of how He's brought Israel through the wilderness into the promised land, taught them great things. And this is what the Lord says, You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. 19. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house, and when you are walking by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, as long as the heavens are above the earth. Ephesians 6.4 really echoes this when it instructs fathers to not provoke their children, but to bring them up with the wisdom and the instruction and discipline of the Lord. Again, rooted in the Lord, rooted in His wisdom, His instruction, His discipline. When you see the parallels, they'll sit, walk, lie down, rise. That means literally that at any time and every time, every place, every activity, that that's the best place for you and your child to discuss the things of the Lord today. As you walk as you sit, as you lie down, as you rise, to keep the things of the Lord, the wisdom and the instruction of the Lord on your lips. You see, we're ambassadors to tell our kids about the Lord. If you, as a parent, were raised in a home that was not Christian, then you know the great value of what it would mean to raise your home to, to raise your kids in a home that is Christian. Amen? You, you know what you missed. You know what you hoped for, what you longed for. And now those same hopes and longings are your child's. And you get to be the tool in God's hands to take it to them. Well, how do I do that, Kyle? How, do, how does that work? I don't know... I don't know the Bible as well as some people do. I really don't think you have to be a scholar in this. I think you ought to be in love with it, though. I think you ought to realize, again, that this is the life source of your Christian life. In the same way your lungs need oxygen, your soul needs the Word of God for it to live. And in the same way that you hope your kids will live as Christians, they need the Word of God to bring them to life. And guess who gets the greatest responsibility in bringing that to their children? You do. Praise God for that. Praise God. They're not going to learn it in school. They're not going to learn it uh, as well here as they will in your home. They're not going to learn it from your grandmother, your grandfather. You're it. And when their father or their mother talks to them about the things of the Lord, it just means more. It's fun to watch little Winnie Kate and her eyes light up when we ask the question at night before bed. Now, she's, she's not two yet. When we ask, who wants to pray tonight? I do! You know, I mean, she'll be the first one. And it's often Jesus, meow, Amen. She's thanking God for the cat that she saw out back of our house one day. Amen. But nothing makes me happier than to see Winnie Kate pray. 
that this, those prayers started that way with Bear. I told you, unique names, right? Bear's my middle boy. And the prayers started the same way. Jesus, love you, amen. Jesus, thank you, amen. And now he'll pray until we almost have to ask him to stop praying. Thanking God for everything, but I would never ask him to stop. I don't care if it's a ploy to stay up late. I love to hear him pray. And Wells, the very same. You know what Wells and Bear have both added to their prayers this week? Carly. Because they've heard a church family praying for our dear sister Carly. And so this week, every night before bed, even at dinner, Lord, be with Carly from both of my boys. This is not me bragging on my kids. This is the Lord's grace. All I'm trying to do is be faithful to teach them about the Lord. Is there a more important lesson in life than for them to learn about the Lord Jesus? No. <laughs> no. As much as I love to throw a ball to my boys, as much as I love to see them swing that bat and that ball go flying, as much as I love to dance with Winnie, and we've got some songs we love, as much as all that brings joy to my heart, what's most important to me is that they'll learn about the Lord from me. And that they'll see His grace in me in some way and His mercy and His love. And that they'll begin to show that to others. But not only show it to others, they'll believe it deep down in their hearts. I pray every night that my kids would know the Lord and that He would save them and that they wouldn't remember a day of their life where they didn't love the Lord. If you're not praying that prayer for your kids, why? What's more important? You see, we'll spend money and time and everything else to make sure our kids are good dancers and good athletes and good students. Man, that stuff's just going to happen. That's going to come. If they're a natural athlete, they're a natural athlete. They're gifted by God to do it. <laughs> Praise God for that. But do not let that be the most important thing in their life because if or when they have an injury or something keeps them from being able to do that, they'll have nothing to fall back on. That was their identity because their parents created that in them. So be careful. Be careful that there is something that will never fail them, that will never fade, that will never go away, and it's the Word of God. And you can raise your children with the Word of the Lord, and they'll have something to stand on for the rest of their lives. That's what we do as ambassadors. Amen? Would you stand to your feet this morning?